Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the CyberSense Power Up podcast. I am Dr. Dustin Weissman. I practice psychology at Neurosense Psychology in Calabasas, California, where I specialize in problematic internet use and internet addictions, as well as facilitate individual and group therapy and administered neuropsychological assessments. So I wanna talk about gaming disorder or gaming addiction and what you can do if you think that your kid or someone you know might have it. So first we have to ask, well, what is gaming disorder? In September of 2018, the World Health Organization posted information on gaming disorder. They posed the question of what is gaming disorder? So here's the definition that they have. Gaming disorder is defined in the 11th revision of the International Classification of Diseases, or ICD-11, as a pattern of gaming behavior, quote, digital gaming or, quote, video gaming, characterized by impaired control over gaming, increasing priority given to gaming over other activities to the extent that gaming takes precedence over other interests and daily activities, and continuation or escalation of gaming despite the occurrence of negative consequences. For gaming disorder to be diagnosed, the behavior pattern must be of sufficient severity to result in significant impairment in personal, family, social, educational, occupational, or other important areas of functioning and would normally have been evident for at least 12 months. Now I'm going to highlight normally. Uh, doesn't necessarily have to be a full 12 months. And I think a lot of what we're seeing is the educational is a big red flag with a substantial gaming disorder that you'll see education slip. So there's a good article in medicalnewstoday.com titled What is Gaming Disorder by Jane Leonard that really lays this all out in a clear format. Pretty much has the information I just stated and it's got some other stuff in there too. And just a nice little bullet point outline format. And I'll make sure to include that in the description of the podcast episode. So if you're on the fence about if your kid qualifies as having a gaming disorder, one question you can ask is, is my kid different now compared to when he or she was before he or she started gaming or even started with this particular game? Is my child noticeably different now than they were a few months ago or even a few weeks ago? If the answer to either of those questions is a resounding and exasperated yes, then you might have a problem on your hands. It might not be diagnosable, but it is treatable. But to get a better idea of if there is a problem, I have an experiment for you to do. And this is not my experiment. I did not come up with it. I'm just relaying what I saw. So this experiment was on Good Morning America. I actually saw it relayed later on ABC News. But it's titled 48-Hour Screen Time Experiment. What happens when kids have no limits? And I'll, of course, include the link on the description as well for this. So here is the experiment. 
Start by letting them run the show for a whole weekend. You're going to give them free reign of their technology from Friday at 4 p.m. to Sunday at 4 p.m. Make sure that as best you can, there's no activities going on in this particular weekend. And just let them have complete control over their self-regulation of screen time. What you need to do is track how much time they spend on various screens. Count double for overlapping screen time. For example, if they're on their tablet while watching TV. You want to track what they're doing. So if they're gaming, then you put that in a gaming column. If they're on social media, put that in social media, YouTube, so on and so forth. And it's okay if they overlapped. So you might be doing an hour and a half of watching TV, and within that, it can overlap a half hour with um, being on social media. You count both of those. Another thing you want to track is their behavior and their mood by periodically asking them what they're doing and how they're feeling. It's important that you let them self-regulate because they're given complete control. Let them stay up as late as they want. They can go to the bathroom when they want. They can go get their own food. Uh, it is important that you provide them options for healthy food within that period. It's up to them if they want to take it or not. So if they don't want to eat, then they don't have to come down and eat. They have complete control. Very important. At 4 p.m. on Sunday, it is important to remove all of the screens and devices. Even more important is letting them know a little bit ahead of time that their time is running out and you will be doing this. You can expect complete meltdowns and simply continue to just track the behavior and their mood. So ask them how they're feeling and what they're doing before you take the devices away. And then after you take the devices away, ask them again, how are you feeling and observe what they're doing. If they refuse to participate in telling you how they're feeling, just acknowledge that and write it down because you could be asking, oh, how do you feel? And they could be in full on tantrum meltdown mode. Before bed, get their feedback about the weekend. Ask about basic needs like eating and sleeping. Ask them if it was difficult. Share your results with them. It's really important that they get to see the results too. And ask them what they think about it. How was this time for them? Do they think that this is something that was good for them? Do they recognize that having some limits on their screen time could be beneficial? And allow a good amount of time for this discussion. Don't do it right before bed. You can do it at dinner. Uh, but it is important that they have a chance to share their input because then you can incorporate that immediately or in the very near future into, uh, okay, well, let's discuss what we can do to have better, more balanced screen time use. And I know we're talking about video gaming as a big component of this particular podcast, but this can go with any kind of a screen time use. So a lot of times there is overlap and it's important to acknowledge all that together. So if they did struggle with self-regulation or maybe they had emotional outburst for over 30 minutes or they refused to participate in the activity, they may have problematic internet use and possibly an internet addiction. If it's gaming, then they might have a gaming disorder so here are some things that you can do. 
First thing is you can create a smartphone contract. Allow them to have a say and negotiate terms. It's a very good skill for them to have and develop. If they want something, they need to provide reasoning or rationale for why they should have it. Think about this as a legal and binding contract that is also fluid and flexible where you can renegotiate terms on a weekly or monthly basis, whatever you decide. So if they want to give you any kind of a research for the rationale or reasoning, like, oh, I saw something online and said this, let them print it out and go over it together. Discuss, you know, whatever it is they find. So for example, if they cite research that discusses how video games improve cognitive functioning, have them provide it and we'll, and put it in as an appendix to the contract. Then you can read through it together and use it. Many of those articles do provide a caution against too much screen time, saying that there are good benefits, but too much is not good. Another thing you can do is track their time online. I'll talk about this a little later too, but iPhones do this. Quality Time is a great app that you can use for Android, and if they're on the computer, you can track it just in you know pencil, paper, pencil and paper journal format. And you can also have them do it too, just write when they started and then write when they ended. So if you're having them track their own time, it's probably important that you track it as well, and you can compare notes. You can do that maybe at dinner time or whenever else you decide to have check-ins so that you can see, okay, is your reality the same as my reality? And are those two realities matching the true reality? And when you're talking about just time and hours spent on something, there should be very close ties to it. And if you have overlapping screen time in that, just acknowledge that yeah, you spent this many hours in front of a screen, even if it was multiple screens. So for that, you would count them together, not separately. Another thing they can do is meditate. You can use Headspace or Simple Habit to start. Those are just good apps that introduce people to meditation. And just five minutes a day can help. There's an article in Inc.com, that's I-N-C.com, by Melanie Curtin titled, 50-year-olds can have the brains of 25-year-olds if they sit quietly and do nothing. And this article explored the research by Sarah Laser of Mass General and Harvard Medical School that shows an increase in gray matter. She's a neuroscientist and she found that even eight weeks of meditation changed people's brains for the better. There was thickening in several regions of the brain including the left hippocampus, and that's where we have learning, memory, and emotional regulation. The temporoparietal junction, or TPJ, which involves empathy and the ability to take on multiple perspectives, was also involved in this thickening. And a part of the brainstem, called the pons, where regulatory neurotransmitters are generated, the brains of the new meditators actually saw shrinkage in the amygdala, and that's a region of the brain that's associated with fear, anxiety, and aggression. This reduction in size of the amygdala correlated to reduced stress levels in those participants. So even that alone is one of the main reasons we want to meditate more often is to have that 
reduction in our stress. Now going back to the list of things that you can do to help are having device-free hours. Really good starting point, especially for middle school and high school kids, would be device-free hours from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. For children in elementary school, I'd recommend starting at least with 8 p.m. And you don't necessarily have to give them tablets or devices in the morning. However, I know some kids like to wash up with you know toothbrush apps and things like that. Uh, you can also include a device-free hour for dinner, uh, especially a family dinner. And Screenagers movie, which I'll talk about in a moment, they always suggest their Tech Talk Tuesdays. So you can have dinner time on Tuesdays where you have device-free discussion about technology. And it might be important to include these device-free times in the phone contracts. And it's okay if the kids want to impose some kind of regulation on the adults as well, whether it's just the house rule or as part of their contract, because kids often learn more from what they observe than what they're told. So lead by example and really embrace this tech-free time. Not necessarily that you have to put away your phone at those times. However, it might be beneficial. And I talk a lot about the phones, but it's important to realize that kids are gaming a lot on their phones. If they're gaming on their tablets, if they're gaming on their computers, then it'd also be important to remove those from their room. So not having those devices at night. I think very few kids have desktops in their, in their room. Gamers actually might be more likely to have this. So if that's the case, maybe take the power cord or something for the night and they can just make this routine that they have to turn it in by a certain time every day. So something else that I recommend you do when your kid is struggling with a problematic internet use or a gaming disorder is reach out to a mental health professional for some form of therapeutic intervention. In extreme cases, residential treatment centers or wilderness programs may help, and it'd be important that they have a therapist to work with when they return home. And family therapy is also a great option because it's not usually just the kid that's involved in the problem, it's a whole family dynamic. So parents might need to parent a little bit more and kids might need to be kids a little bit more in terms of going out and doing behaviors and actions that kids should and used to do, like hanging out with friends and doing their homework. So. The most important thing I could probably say on this is talk with that person that you're concerned about and let them know how you feel. Ask them how they feel. Are they sad, depressed, lonely? Are they isolated? Do they feel anxious, afraid, angry, or resentful? Do they feel like they're in control of their life? Are they taking good care of their body? Do they take breaks from gaming or internet use? Are they eating healthy? Do they get exercise? Are their friendships or academic performances suffering? It's really important to get that information from their perspective and see if they can recognize that, yeah, these areas are suffering. And you can explore, well, what do you think is attributing to that without being so obvious as to 
lead them to the answer of, you know, it's my video game. They're probably not going to say that. But it is really interesting to see what they do say and explore that. Go down that path with them. It's just important to create the dialogue and build that up and just come from a really a warm and helpful perspective and approach rather than I'm trying to trap you into saying that gaming is the cause of all your problems. That's not going to work. When looking at just their academic performance, it really might be helpful to hire a tutor or an educational therapist or an executive functioning coach just to get them caught up and back on track. The more motivated for change they are, the better the prognosis. So if they're going to work on it and they're going to try to you know, get those D's and F's up to C's and B's and just get caught up with all the stuff they've been missing because they haven't been doing their academics, if that's an issue for them, then that would just be really helpful and it could build their self-esteem. And that's why I mentioned coaches as well as tutors and therapists is all of them have the ability to really build their self-esteem. So make sure when you're hiring somebody, if you go that route, that it's somebody who's going to be really positive and let them know that's what you want. Like build them up and let them feel like they're leveling up in real life too. Because a lot of times they might just be leveling up in the game and not so much in real life. So I want to tell you about something real quick and then we'll jump into some hacks that I learned from the ScreenAndersMovie.com. So I'd like to now share with you eight hacks from ScreenAgersMovie.com that can help you cut down on your screen time or that you can use to have somebody else cut down on their screen time and they make for a good hack challenge. So the first one is reorganize your home screen. So if your child doesn't use a phone but maybe they have an iPad or a tablet or another device, you can do this on the home page of that device. So having all your favorite apps on your home screen can be quite tempting. So try to remove all of the tempting apps and replace them with your calendar, your clock, and your calculator. Maybe a weather app, nothing else. The Screenager's co-producer, Lisa, removed Facebook and Twitter from her home screen and reported that it significantly decreased the amount of time she spent on social media. Number two, delete certain apps. When it seems that a particular app is taking too much of your time, of course the best thing you could do is delete it. Many youth have video game apps. Perhaps your child will take the challenge and remove a game app for 72 hours, perhaps? I mentioned before in podcasts that I've done where if I notice that I'm playing a game too much, then I will simply cold turkey delete it and won't go back to it. Uh, if I do go back to it, it might be months or even years later. Number three, use blocking software. A recent research survey from the Pew Research Center found that 45% of teens reported that they're online nearly constantly. So I was familiar with the research from the Pew Research Center from 2014 to 2015 that reported only 24% were online almost constantly. 
I actually had to pause this podcast and go and do investigation on the 45% number because that apparently just came out last year and I hadn't seen the new results. So these new results showing that 45% up from 24% are now on almost constantly and 44% down from 56% report that they're on several times a day. So we have less kids saying they're on several times a day because we have more of those that used to be on several times a day now on almost constantly. Pretty remarkable numbers that they almost doubled. And that's a scary fact. So apps like Freedom and self-control can be really helpful here. These are apps that are aimed at helping people minimize their time on social media by blocking it. So they can block social media, online shopping, or anything that distracts you online for whatever amount of time you designate. A fourth hack is the time control apps. So on an iPhone, you can set screen time, which sets a specific amount of time you can use your particular apps. And I say screen time, that refers to the function or setting in the iPhone that allows you that control. On Android phones, they have something on their, quote, digital well-being, end quote, dashboard called app timers. And those allow you to set limits on your different apps. So the fifth hack is turn off autoplay on YouTube. According to YouTube, about 70% of the videos that people watch on their platform are those that were suggested by the algorithm. And of course, many of these are the ones that start auto-playing and thus we start auto-watching. A simple way to regain control and always stay on purpose is by turning off autoplay. This will prevent another video from automatically loading. Might want to do that on Netflix as well. Uh, the sixth hack is limit notifications. One study found that the average person receives about 63 and a half notifications each day. This interruption is distracting and it can lead you down a rabbit hole of time spent on your phone. You'll be amazed at how much time you save by turning off notifications, limiting them, and only using the ones that you really need. And if you're worried about some kind of emergency, you can do what my wife came up with. She devised a two-call system. And this is if somebody in our family calls somebody else two times, it means that it's urgent or even an emergency. If we just call once and there's no answer when we hang up, then it wasn't a big deal. We could leave a voicemail, get to it when we can. But if it's twice, then we know emergency, attend to it. So we don't have to worry about missing a notification because our phone's going to ring two times. The seventh hack is take ads off your page and other distractions. You might have noticed that some websites are cluttered with multitudes of distractions, like autoplay videos, pop-up ads, and sidebars that make it difficult to concentrate on one thing. There are several browser extensions that allow you to remove these ads and distractions from your webpage. 
leaving you with a clean page of just text and images. One such extension is titled Mercury Reader. It's a Chrome extension and it is a popular one. So if the ad blocker does not allow you to read an article, it usually gives you the option to turn it off just for that page. You just look at the top of your screen for some notification. The eighth hack and final hack that they give you is make your phone only perform in black and white. Essentially, go to grayscale. So if you can make your phone screen go to grayscale, it's just not going to be as appealing. Because the colors are like candy to your brain. Changing your phone to black and white is less rewarding to your cerebrum, and you may spend less time scrolling through it. The red notifications that you see, that you have like emails waiting or some messages to respond to, I hate those by the way. Like the little red numbers tells you how many too. Uh, those can cause stress and they are difficult to ignore. Even if you switch those to the blue color, it'd be helpful. And that's demonstrated in the documentary Like. They show a segment where just the red it initiates this anxiety and stress in us. But if it's blue, it's a little more calming. And that's because of the way our brain reacts to red, which is more of an alert, as compared with blue, which is a little more relaxing. All right, so I've got some bonus ones for you. The first one is go to airplane mode. I do this sometimes when I just don't want any data coming in and I still want to be able to use my phone. For example, if I'm doing some kind of timing during a psychological assessment, I'll do that so that nothing can pop up on the screen because that would really mess up uh, my results of the person I'm testing because every second counts in those tests. So I can't have to swipe away a phone call or a text message. That will just throw everything off. I also put my phone on mute when I'm in session. So if you're engaged in some kind of activity, whether it's working or in class, putting your phone on mute is really good. A supplementary bonus here is getting your phone off the table, putting it away, out of sight, out of mind. So if you have it out of sight, out of mind, and you can't hear it if it goes off, Fantastic. You won't be interrupted because that's what's going to happen. Every time your phone goes off, a little beep, a chime, you're distracted. And it takes you a while to get back into it, back into your rhythm, back into your flow. And if you're worried about, oh, I'm going to miss something, just check it at certain points. Designate, okay, I'm going to check my phone at 2 o'clock. I'll check my phone at 5 o'clock. I'll check my phone at 9 a.m., whatever it might be. Uh, and then within that, designate special times you check emails. So it would be much more productive if you check your emails all together at the same block of time. For example, if you do it at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day. But during that day, no checking emails or responding to them because they're going to take you out of the task at hand. So there's really no need to do the emails, especially if you're doing that two-call phone system thing, where you have it maybe 
on vibrate instead of mute during the day when you're not engaged in a task. And you can check it out at lunchtime here and there. Typically, if there is an emergency, a matter of a few minutes or hours won't make the biggest difference in the world because if there's an emergency, you should not be the first person that's being contacted. You should be contacted after you know, emergency with 911 or taken to the ER or something a little more catastrophic. So you would hope that the emergency is being addressed by the people that are there and they're just notifying you there is an emergency, come when you can. So those are my little bonus hacks. And I know I've talked about some of these before in the past, but when I find that they're really important, I'm just going to repeat them because I don't know if this is the first episode you listen to or if you're going to listen to the other episodes. So I'll include the pertinent, relevant information in each one. So the best hack and final hack, if you can even call it that, is just having a conversation. And I encourage you to do this with whoever it is in your life that you're listening to this episode that's in the back of your mind and just start that dialogue. You can open it up by asking them, when you realize that you have spent too much time on your screen, or when you realize that you have spent too much time gaming, what gives you the power to stop? Let them think that over for a minute, because it's implying that they have the power to stop, which they'll probably tell you they do. But it's also having them reflect on when has there been a time where I've had the power to stop, Granted, every time they you know, finish their gaming session, they've stopped. And it's not just that you've told them. There's something internal, at least at one point or another, that they've used to stop gaming or stop their screen time use. So let them think about it and recognize their own internal strengths. Then you can go over this list of these hacks and pick out one of the ideas to try. So first, before you even implement it, measure how much time you're spending either gaming or in front of a screen so that you have a baseline. Then, after you try doing the hack, compare the amount of time you spend on gaming or screens and see if maybe you guys can gamify it. Say that, okay, I'm going to stop doing this one, so I'm going to do hack number three by using blocking software. And you're going to reorganize your home screen, hack number one. And let's see who can decrease their time by the biggest percentage. Because if you do biggest number of hours, then it's going to be more likely them if they're on way too much. Unless your hours are pretty high too. But I'd say let's see who can cut back the biggest percentage. So it's fair looking at the ratio difference. You can even make a little challenge out of this and say the loser has to do the dishes tonight. You know, just something to have fun with it. Make a little more of a game or a challenge where you're both able to cut down on your screen time use in a healthy and fun way. So I really hope that I answered any questions that you may have had about what to do first if you know someone who's struggling with a screen time or gaming addiction. As always, please feel free to share your thoughts with me on 
Twitter, I'm at Dustin underscore Weissman. You can comment on social media wherever you found this post or leave a review if there's an option to do so. Thanks.